<laughs> We're hi. hi. Why does my voice crack every time we start this show? <laughs> it's like, it's hi. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. this is the same drugs with Megan Murphy. I'm Megan Murphy. And I'm Laura McNally. And we're looking good this week. Like, we're pretty on time. We're only 10 minutes late. And we did a welcome. Make sure you subscribe. Hit like, because I think we really deserve it for the amount of effort that went into that intro. Laura, there was an, <laughs> there was an unlike on this video hours ago. <laughs> before yeah, we you've even got a started. Few. There you've got a, a few diehard fans just, that just uh, show up to press the unlike button before anything even happens. Even on our have... private videos, that one. Oh, we we figured out <laughs> who that one unlike was coming from. Actually, we got to the bottom of it, and it was I kind know. of legit. Like, it yeah, was, it was, legit. was like okay, fair, fair. Most of the feedback um, to your YouTube's is very legit, but you do have some really like diehard followers who just follow everything you do and unlike everything you do and i mean i think i mean most people seem to click we actually don't get a lot of shit considering the yeah. kinds of things that we say um so i i don't know I think very good. i think our views are very tame well measured moderate rational well argued I Amazing. Mean, there is nothing to down like except for the fact that some people are trolls. That's their well, loss. I don't know. I mean, some people have their little vendettas against me, so maybe they just show up and, you know, I don't know. Anyway, it's fine. You don't have to like these videos anyway. I actually don't take it personally. You really do. <laughs> um, there's somebody in the comment section who just goes by the name Minty, I guess. And says, Megan, I'm the woman in blue from the mall today because I went to Oak Ridge to pick up a wine rack from Crate and Barrel today. <laughs> Very <laughs> exciting life. I'm an alcoholic. And I, uh, I've been investing in booze. Like, yeah. I really, I have been. This whole, um, this whole pandemic has led me to buy a lot of wine. Um, I remember I guess, when I got a wine rack and like a collection and like so when I went traveling I get a few bottles in different countries I felt like a fucking adult like maybe for the first time in my life I was like fuck I've really made it like I have a wine rack full of fine wine and I don't know port from Portugal and all that kind of shit and I was like fuck I've really made it in the world so I guess you've made it congrats welcome Thank How you. do you feel? <laughs> I mean, I feel good that I have like a lot of wine just in case anything happens. Like at first I started buying a lot of wine because I was worried the liquor stores are going to shut down. And so I was like, Ugh. like, so I bought like a case of wine. And usually I, I, I'll buy like two, maybe three bottles at a time. Um, and then I think it just turned into a habit. So I just go on big liquor store runs. And then recently I've gotten into natural wine because I guess like I'm going full bougie. So if you buy natural wine, you often can't get it in the liquor store. So you buy it direct from the, the company, which so it's, I mean, it's, it's actually ethical, Laura. I'm actually I I practicing ethical consumerism because i'm like buying local and like this is like ethically made sustainable i would love to watch 
watch you and like take the piss out of you. But I'm in New Zealand now, which is very like local oriented, very, uh, there's a lot of organic local produce. And my friend makes organic wine. Like they have a small vineyard and they make organic natural wine at home and they have their own little brand here. So I'd like to mock you, but my friend does that for a living. So I can't. <laughs> I, really, I like natural wine. It's really grown on me. Um, but so, yeah. but you have to buy large, like it's, you often yeah, can't just buy a tiny. bottle. You have to buy six bottles at a time. Yeah. So I'm like, I guess this is just what I'm investing in I now. guess this is my life now. It's Crates not the worst thing in the world to have lots of wine. I mean, I'm going to drink it eventually. Like I drink wine every day. So Don't become an alcoholic. Remember, we started the same drugs talking about drug and alcohol addiction. And what do you define an alcoholic? What's an alcoholic? Well, if you're if your consumption impairs your regular daily functioning, that's when you have a, a dysfunction. No. Okay. No, that doesn't happen. That only happens like maybe once a week where I have to like sleep extra. Mm-hmm. But obviously I'm highly functional. So highly functioning. High functioning, high functioning alcoholic. Yeah. Um, okay. So how was your week, Laura? What um, What's New Zealand like? Great. What's going on? I don't know. I'm not sure. Time passes very quickly these days. Um, I don't know what the fuck's going on. It's just like a flash, and then a, another week's gone. I don't know. It's been a good week. Okay. Good. How about you? Well, oh, actually, I should finish this story that I started before you rudely interrupted me. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah. actually know if you did rudely interrupt me. I'm just Probably blaming did. it on you. We got <laughs> off track, as we always do. So Minty in the comments, this a woman who's – I'm really sorry. I can't remember your actual name – came up to me in Oak Ridge and was like, Hi, Megan Murphy. Like, And – wanted to talk about like how I cope with all of this stuff that's going on right now around, you know, trans rights and women's rights and these debates and blah, blah, blah. And I was in a really big hurry because Crate and Barrel was going to close in 10 minutes. So I was like, fuck, I need to come up with a really good answer really quick. And then also explain that I have to leave this conversation really quickly because I have to go to Crate and Barrel. But I'm not an alcoholic. And I'm just going to seem like a, a... a total idiot. I'm like, I really would love to talk to you, but Creighton Barrel, I gotta get my wine. <laughs> sorry. This is so I'm really sorry important. if my response was not as articulate as it could have been. So what would you what should your response be? I told would her like to, to- I told her to get off the internet more. Not in yeah. a mean way, just in a I was like, you know what? Like it's way it feels way worse if you're online all the time because in real life people don't think that what we're saying is unreasonable. Most people think that women should have their own spaces. Most people don't think that people can change sex. And if they heard about all this turf stuff and all these threats and all this harassment, they would think it was nuts and be on our side. And we just get kind of like a warp view and we spend too much time online, which I do. I'm online all the time. So it really does seem horrible. But if you're out in the world and just talking to regular people, things to start start to feel a little bit more normal. Yes. So that was the best thing that I could come up with when I was in a frantic rush to Creightonville, Carol. Yeah, yeah. I think the average person is starting to get a sense of how warped the internet 
uh, how the internet's skewing the political debate, at least. I yeah. think people are starting to get a, a sense of that, especially as they sort of tentatively touch on a, a subject or a topic and then they're like shouted down and it's like, you're going to get cancelled because you said it the wrong way. And they're like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to stay out of this. Um, so I feel like a lot of, and also a lot of people that have like led the political, uh, the progressive kind of attacky cancel cultural thing are getting cancelled, so it's kind of coming back around. And that's, there is like the inception happening where the cancelers are getting cancelled and people are like, oh, maybe this isn't the solution to our political problems after all. Yeah, I mean, I guess like it's just, it's good to not immerse yourself in this. I know that it's hard, especially when people sort of like first get involved in the gender identity debate i mean i'm probably mm. pretty immersed but it's good to kind of step out and, and engage in other activities and other things and you know like have other hobbies and i don't know yeah try to it's i mean it's hard because we can't go out like we normally do my coping mechanism used to be like go out to the bar with friends so yeah. you know that's you force yourself offline because you're in conversation with people you can be like checking your phone or on the mm. internet or whatever um but yeah, I mean, so I don't know. I think things things are things are okay here. Everything is meh. I'm sort of less depressed than I was last week about things, but I'm you know I'm taking off next week. I spent the week watching um, the Last Dance, which is the um, Michael Jordan documentary, which is excellent. I highly recommend it to everyone. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's I think it's like the best if, or one of the best series I've watched this year on Netflix. Maybe the best, yeah. He's an incredible man. Um, mm. Very inspiring. And also, I mean, I actually kind of like basketball. I'm not really into sports, but mm. I do like basketball. I've always liked watching basketball. I used to play basketball in high school. So it's a very easy game to understand. It's very exciting. There's lots of action. Those athletes yes. are like really impressive athletes. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of ah. skill. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like slow and confusing like baseball or football or golf, or, like... Cricket. Oh, my God. I've never God. watched cricket before. Darn. And, yeah. Anyway, and I mean, who, like, watching basketball players is undeniably enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to elaborate? <laughs> I like, and I had, like, a boyfriend that played varsity basketball, so I'd watch his games. And I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I really like basketball players. I mean, I can't... Yeah, I have to be honest about that. I you think there's groupie. there's little not to like. What? Are you a groupie? No, no, <laughs> I, no. Def- I wasn't a groupie. I had like an actual boyfriend who played <laughs> on the varsity team. But it wasn't like I, I would go to. He wasn't. I wasn't just like there to try to like hook up with a, a basketball player. I had one specific one, and then a few others around. <laughs> that's amazing i'm like laughing and judging but honestly i've i don't have can't uh, judge. i mean who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to date a basketball player like i mean it's not a thing. it's not in us it's not a thing in australia but like i oh, probably okay. i the australian equivalent probably so i can't i can't talk just ignore me i have enough i have no legs to stand on here 
I mean, yeah, unfortunately, I've kind of aged out of that because I would have to date yeah. an ex-basketball player at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, that um, would be okay. Not quite as exciting, but um, anyway, like, so... <laughs> Getting old is so weird. Can I just say, I got ID'd today when I bought alcohol. Like, at what point is it just offensive that, like, you're? St- do you still get asked for ID? Yeah, sometimes. Like, what the fuck? I don't, it's not offensive. It's a compliment. I'm old. I just want to have not some. <laughs> I want something for having grown this old. You know what I mean? Like Wisdom. Yeah, but just like, fuck. You're not, not stupid and phony anymore. I'm obviously anymore. not 18. Like, damn, let me buy my gin in peace. I feel like a damn criminal. Um, just trying to get up. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't bother me. I suppose, like, when I was your age and I got ID'd, I might have found it annoying. But now that I'm older, when I still get ID'd, I'm like, thank you. I'm yeah. I'm show you my ID. Yeah. And then they can be like, ooh, wow. You really <laughs> do. Don't, you don't have any wrinkles, though. Like, it's actually quite bizarre. Thank you. <laughs> I'll tell you my... Uh, my Secret. health plan later on Patreon. <laughs> yeah, the secrets to getting no wrinkles. It's not what you think. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm it's definitely, definitely not up. living a healthy lifestyle and avoiding booze. <laughs> no, it's like a $10,000 product. That no, only- it's not. <laughs> I mean, okay. Any, yeah, I mean, I do. I have been wearing wrinkle cream since I was like probably 23 or something like that. So I, I do, I do, I do use those things, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I think everyone does. And I, th- I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, part of it is just getting a lot of sleep and drinking a lot of water. Mm. But I think people think that if they're like really healthy and they like don't party and they like do lots of exercise, maybe that'll do it. But that, clearly not. I can I just say when I took six months off work and I just went fucking wild I was partying like five nights a week I was probably never sober I looked fantastic I actually (laughs) I think I looked better when I was binge partying than I ever did at any other point in my life so I don't believe the hype like I'm not going to even I'm not suggesting people do that I'm just saying it worked for me Probably, I mean, staying out of the sun really helps. Like, I'm not like a tree planter. I, I, you know, I, I do try to get eight or nine hours of sleep every night. Yeah, that's 3 pretty good. To noon. Um, <laughs> same. <laughs> okay, okay, so what are we meant to be talking about? What's uh, happened this? Week? Yeah. Okay, let's actually talk about something. So, okay, I mean. I, for some time, have felt that this whole Karen meme thing is whatever. I didn't really care that much, to be honest. I didn't find it particularly offensive. Like, I'm not a Karen, so I'm not taking this personally. I don't Mm -hmm. go rat people out or force other people to follow the rules. I don't Mm -hmm. really get involved in people's business. I don't care. I'm probably the one breaking the rules anyway. Mm -hmm. And... I, you know, like, whatever, people can make jokes, uh, but, I mean, I, I also, at the same time, could tell that it clearly was sexist, and to yeah. me, it was also attached to ageism, because, I mean, and that's something that's always really bothered me. It's really bothered me the way that older women 
are erased and disrespected. Um, and I think it's the sign of, you know, uh, an immature culture, obviously a superficial culture. But I think that any healthy culture respects its elders and respects that older people have wisdom and that younger people can learn from older people. And that's sort of like the opposite of what we have in our culture, which is very youth centric. And we, we prop up these young voices as like, you know, political activists, radicals, leaders, you know, we're, we're interested in interviewing, you know, young celebrities and singers who have nothing of worth to say about anything. Um, instead of, you know, talking to people who actually have expertise and, and, and wisdom. So that's always bothered me. And, and, you know, it's particular, like, older men are still respected, but not older women. So Karen is, Karen is supposed to be, like, a middle-aged white woman, I guess maybe middle class. I think it's different in the UK. In the UK, supposedly, it was just to working class women. But in the US, it seemed to be targeted at sort of, you know, basic middle class white blonde ladies who were wanted to go talk to the manager um but yeah this this week i think things really went too far and kind of symbolize or i mean it's representative of the problem with the the narrative surrounding karen so it karen started on reddit Um, It was started by a guy who was pissed at his ex-wife, whose name was Karen, for taking custody of the kids. So it was, you know, basically it became like an MRA thread on Reddit Mm -hmm. where men talked shit about ex-wives who took custody of their kids. And it recently morphed. And then it turned into this, like, Karen wants to talk to the manager and rat people out when they're doing something wrong. And then it became about race. And I don't know who invented that or started that, where it was it was not just a white lady. It was a white racist lady who was weaponizing her white fragility to go after black men in particular, to call the cops on, on black men. Um, and so, I mean, those kinds of things are just, they're part of, I think, like a larger culture of woman hating and, and white women right now are an easy scapegoat because mm-hmm. of of the politics of the day, which are very centered around race and racism. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that people just decided that, you know, white women are an easy target and white women hold all the privilege in the world. Um, they're really dangerous, which I think is kind of ridiculous. Um, and that anything goes and people are really enjoying this witch hunt, these mm-hmm. like viral videos um, revealing Karens to be bitches or hysterical or uh, whatever it is. So, I mean, so what happened this week, probably people know is this guy, Carlos Dillard, who has a history of, trying to create these viral videos. So he not so long ago, he works for Postmates, which is like a food delivery service in the US. Um, He went into a restaurant that was owned by an Asian couple. And I guess the woman who owns the restaurant asked him to, to show her his phone to prove that he was a Postmates delivery guy. And he flipped out, told her it was racist. 
and started filming and was like, you guys are going to be on the news. Like, this is racism. And you asked me to, to show you my phone. And I told you that hurt my feelings. And you said whatever. And you're a racist Asian lady and put it on the Internet and tried to make it go viral. So this is what he does. So he then and he, he has he's trying to sell merchandise based on this Karen thing. So he has a number of T-shirts on his Instagram um, with slogans around Karen that he's trying to sell. He's trying to become like Instagram famous mm-hmm. um, or Twitter famous or whatever. He's trying to go viral so that he can make money off of it. And, you know, these activists who've been like reveling in all these viral Carol, Carol, Karen videos um, have set it up. I mean, they've set up a, a form of activism that's very easy to co-opt and is, doesn't have a, a strong foundation in politics. Um, you know, obviously all white women aren't bad. All white women aren't racist and it's really sexist to pretend as though women who have, fear or emotions or whatever are inherently being manipulative. Like that plays into all these sexist tropes around women using their emotions to manipulate men. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he set up this scenario with this woman whose name is Leah. I think she might be a nurse or something like that. And claimed that she cut him off in traffic, but even that's doubtful. Like I've been reading about, Um, People have been sort of delving into his story and mapping out where he says he went and where they encountered each other and where she cut him off and then where he says she followed him and it doesn't add up. Um, So it seems as though he just set this up. And either way, and, you know, he accused her of giving him the finger, um, which she denied doing. She denied cutting him off and she denied giving him the finger. But he, he says this happened. He follows her to her house starts filming, starts calling her Karen, uh, films her her home address and her her driver's license and is, like, going to, you know, put it all online. And she's, like, crying and hysterical and shaking and freaking out and trying to cover her driver's license. And she's like, you're going to ruin my life and you don't even know who I am. You're trying to call me a Karen and you're saying I'm all these things and I'm not – and he's like, why did you flip me off, Karen? Why did you flip me off, Karen? And she's like, I didn't, I didn't. And then he sort of throws in this, like, oh, she called me the N-word thing, which obviously didn't happen, because why would he be freaking out about getting cut off and being flipped off and not, mm-hmm. like, and have failed to flip out about the actually most egregious crime, which would have been using the N-word against a black man. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also has a restraining order against him. From the past, he has, like, other criminal charges. He's just, like, a grifter and a scam artist, and he honestly seems, like, really unhinged. Like, it's really fucked up behavior to follow a woman home and start filming her and harassing her and sort of, like, reveling in it while she's, like, you know, having this, like, a panic attack, essentially, and, like, crying and freaking out in front of you, and you're holding up your phone camera in her face. Like, it's psychotic. Yeah, that's why I didn't really watch the video because there's just so many of these videos going around right now that I I don't, honestly, I don't want to watch any of them. Like some of them are um, valid uh, issues that represent an underlying kind of 
social ill and some of them are like this guy what do you mean when you say grifter though that's like a new word to me uh he's you know trying to profit off of this like he's mm. using this this karen meme this trend to make money he's a phony um yeah. you know these aren't he's there these aren't racist incidences and he knows that he can or he thought that he could because he knows that people online are thrilled by this. Like people online are sadistic. Like this is sadistic. And it makes me think that we're watching the decline of civilization. Mm -hmm. Um, People are hungry for this stuff and they're thrilled. And I never have these reactions to these kinds of videos. I find the whole, the whole cancel culture thing, obviously very disturbing and, I'm not the kind of person who would see a video like that and be like, post it online and be like, oh my God, let's get her. Like, fuck this. Like trying to rile people up around mm-hmm. about it. Um, but I, it seems like most people are like that. They really enjoy it. And um, Isn't it funny that that's emerged from the kind of progressive sphere at the same time as the anti-bullying message like one is a totally pro-bullying pro-attacking targeting violating someone's privacy distributing private information to the world and the other is like don't bully people don't be mean always start with kindness like progressive values are always about kindness and caring first (laughs) I'm wondering how that cognitive dissonance works for people that live in this world where they think it's acceptable to bully certain people if they have certain politics, but bullying is abhorrent and must always be like bullying is like the worst thing that can happen. Also, we can bully It matters if you're a victim. So if you're part of a marginalized category, according to activists today, then it counts as bullying. But if you're positioned as having power or privilege, then you're always the bully no matter what happens. So um, these women are white. So nowadays whiteness equals privilege and power but only that. Um, I'm not saying that white privilege doesn't exist. Of course it does. Um, but it's not black and white, obviously. And and then on top of that, there's this thing around like white fragility. So what's said is that like these white women's tears are a means to hold power over people of color. So, you know, that Robin D'Angelo person is like, White, you can't cry. White women can't cry because, yeah, it's like it's using your privilege to your advantage, which is mm-hmm. really awful because it's like, I don't know, most people, I don't think most people cry on purpose. Like, yeah. I don't know how to cry on purpose. And I yeah. cry a lot. Like, I cry pretty easily, actually. So, you know, like, I don't think that's a form of manipulation. And I think it's mm-hmm. kind of odd to, like do you not cry? Like who could say something like that? Like, I feel like men sometimes get mad about women's tears and crying, but I always thought that was because they couldn't cry. So they Mm -hmm. couldn't relate or they were mad at me because I was able to express my emotions and cry. And they were choked that they weren't able to do that. Cause I feel like it would be, um, 
kind of impressive to to not be able to to cry if you felt sad and not mm. be able to express your true emotions. So I was like, maybe they're like mad at me because they somewhere deep down wish they could just cry, but they can't. Um, or it's just that, yeah, they can't relate to that feeling of feeling vulnerable and feeling hurt in that way. And so they think of it as manipulation. Like that's not their reaction. They would react with anger or they would be stoic or whatever. And they think that I should do that too. I should be able to hide my emotions like they do. Mm. It's really Um, bizarre because I do understand on the one hand that people who are highly manipulative can use this kind of underdog positioning, for example, crying in situations um, where they're effectively looking to get the upper hand again by making you feel guilt. Um, Interestingly, when people are confronted with racism and they get upset about it, that's being turned into you're manipulating the situation now. I mean, wouldn't we want people to be touched by racism to the point it upsets them? Would that not be the most empathic response? Like if you see a racist hate crime happening and you cry, that's your your empathy but we're now told, like, no, that's you trying to turn the situation. And I'm not saying there are some people in the world who exist to always try and use their emotions to manipulate people. They exist. But, like, showing empathy, we're now going to uh, penalise people for empathy because they're so white. you saying that people, like, white people are seeing a racist hate crime and getting upset and then they're being accused of manipulation by doing that that's that's the thing right it like the fragility argument comes up when it's like oh white people upset about racism that's white fragility that was one of the things i noticed straight away about the george floyd video was like you must watch this video and you must share it and if you don't that's your white fragility. If you're upset about it, that's your white fragility. If you're not sharing it, that's white fragility. It's like there is literally no response anyone could make right now that's not going to be called white fragility. Okay. I haven't seen that so much. I thought it was more about people feeling like white women feeling defensive or like, if they feel harassed or under attack or something like that, and they get upset and emotional and cry, that's manipulative. And that's like women using their white tears to protect themselves from accountability. Um, Right. As opposed to just like being honest and upset. (laughs) Well, I guess as opposed to, I don't know what the right response would be. I guess the right response is to not get emotional at all and to stay perfectly calm and say, yes, I am a racist, like Mm -hmm. punish me. Um, It's um, it's really interesting because living in Australia, there's been a few situations where I've been called out for racism and it was literally like if you – Uh, So, for example, where I used to live, there would often be violence happening with uh, local Aboriginal people. And so people would say, like, 
if you call the police, you're racist because you're calling the police who are going to be racist police. They're going to, you know, these people will end up in jail. That's racist. You're a white person calling the police on Aboriginal people. If you don't call the police, you're racist because someone could get hurt here. If someone dies and you're a white bystander who's let this Aboriginal person get hurt, you're racist. Like there was literally no response. And then the same thing with filming. If you film this, you're a racist. You're filming this for your own enjoyment and therefore you're objectifying uh, Aboriginal people. If you don't film it, you're racist because if you cared about these people's safety, you would want to get it on film in case something happens. It's like nothing you can do is going to be the right response. <laughs> and then when you acknowledge that nothing you do is going to be the right response, you're white fragility because you won't stand up to white supremacy. <laughs> like, right. I mean, why people give up. Yeah, I mean, I, well, it makes sense why people are kind of living in fear. And it, I mean, the reason that this woman was hysterical was because she was so afraid because she knows what's happening in the culture right now. And so she knows the trend is like, put this video online and your life is going to be destroyed forever. You'll lose your job. You'll lose your friends. You'll be ostracized. Um, and so, yeah, people are really living in fear thanks to social media bullying. And I just, I don't, I mean, I just, I find it kind of, I'm kind of offended by the idea that you can call yourself an activist when the only thing that you're doing is trying to destroy other people. Mm-hmm. Like what is the, what is the productive change that's going to come from humiliating a woman online, especially a woman who didn't do anything wrong. You know, in this case, this Leah person didn't do anything racist. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, I mean, I did the research before I wrote an article about it. And so I figured out that this guy was a phony and that what he was saying wasn't true and that he has a long, he has a history of doing this. Um, never mind. When I first saw the video without knowing anything, I was super disturbed by it. It was really yeah, upsetting to watch. Not nice. Um, but, you know, like I just, I think that it's so, you know, why, what, I, I don't know why people think that this kind of, well, I do know why, but I wonder what they think that will come of this besides people just being afraid and hiding and sort of scared of each other. Um, I don't think yeah. that it's actually creating understanding. And I would think that activists, I mean, I have the same problem with lots of other movements. I have the same problem with certain factions of feminism that say, you know, educate yourself. Like, it's not my job to educate you. Or, you know, like, I don't want to talk to men, or I don't want to engage men, or I don't want to engage with people who aren't feminists. And I'm like, well, this is counterproductive. Like, you're turning people into enemies who might not be your enemy. They might just not understand um, what you're working towards. Um, They might not understand your politics or your ideology. And they're not going to understand if you say... I'm not, I'm not going to waste my time talking to you about this or explaining it to you. Like, screw you. You don't already understand. Educate yourself. Um, and they're not going to change their minds by, if you publicly humiliate them, if you attack them online, if you, you know, 
call them out for being like some horrible person. They're just going to kind of run and hide, um, which is, of course, the larger problem with cancel culture. It's interesting because like uh, John Kay said in your interview, it is progressive leaning people who are um, particularly vulnerable to this kind of cancellation, whether it be being called out or their friends calling them in or whatever the term is. (laughs) It's people who actually give a fuck about the world who are vulnerable to it. And it's people who sit outside of that and they're like, fuck this shit. Like, I'm not participating because I'm conservative or I'm not participating because I don't give a fuck about politics or I'm not participating because you all look like fucking idiots. Those people are far safer than those of us who actually care about the political world because we actually care about so-called social justice. So by caring, we're now vulnerable to attack for having cared. Yeah, I mean, it's true. You're sort of, you're less vulnerable if you just stay out of everything entirely at this point. Um, I was going to say, I forgot to finish my thought before, which was that, you know, a lot of people in the comments at Feminist Current, um, Zinc just brought this up in the comments and reminded me also, Um, uh, the comments on the Facebook page at Feminist Current and in the comments on my Instagram page when I posted this article saying this, like, Karen meme has gone way too far, this is dangerous, someone's going to get hurt, and this is obviously misogynistic, like, this guy is harassing and scaring a woman and bullying her for no reason except to, you know, gain from from this meme that people pretend is either harmless and just a joke, or they pretend that it's a really important political um, statement where they're, you know, calling it racism. It can be both, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So, but it's like a lot of people were immediately jumped into the comments and there was like, there's nothing wrong with Karen. Karen is about racism. And I'm just like, okay, but clearly this wasn't about racism. Clearly if it were actually always about racism, then I wouldn't have a problem with it. If it were genuinely always calling out actual real racist incidences, then I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with it. But that's not what's going on. It's just being used as an excuse to attack women. Um, yeah. and to, to mock women and to dismiss women and to harass women and to bully women. And I, I mean, I don't know why we can't ever do more than one thing at once like why can't it be that racism is a problem and yes some white women are racist and that should be addressed but also that doesn't mean that it's okay to behave in misogynist bullying ways and to threaten women all women all white women and anytime any woman says something about it she's being a Karen. So you fall into the Karen trap. It's like, Karen is great. And Karen is this really important political thing. Or Karen is a joke. And if you don't think it's funny, you're a Karen. And if you protest in any way at all, it's a Karen. It's like, okay, well, no matter what I say, you're dismissing me or mocking me or insulting me. So I mean, I don't really care. Like, that's a great box to put me in because I don't give a fuck. Like, it's like, People say so much shit about me. It's like, oh, are you going to call me something else? <laughs> like, Are you going <laughs> to oh, dis- no. try to discredit me like everybody else does by making up some bullshit? Like, I don't grovel, first of all, and I don't apologize mm. when I don't mean it. So this is never going to work on me. I'm always just going to say what I think. So, But, you know, a it's, lot of people, it does work. 
It's really interesting because I see two things where the kind of the world of social media are directly impacting on the way we relate to one another. And one is that very black and white thinking, like you're either for this or you're against it. And that works so well on social media. Like you have to be polarizing for your views to be heard on social media and increasingly in traditional media, either be black or be white. Like you've got to pick a side and, and stick to your arguments and then people themselves can pick a side. And that's really interesting because black and white thinking is a fundamental feature of personality disordered psychopathology. So the inability to um, embrace or accept that there are spaces between the black and the white is part of uh, certain disorders, for example, uh, borderline personality, where people are don't have an internal sense of self and rely on the external world to give them a sense of self. And that is an incredibly unsafe way to live because, of course, the external world dictates how you feel about yourself. Uh, and that's something that psychologists refer to as the external locus of control. And that's present in a number of personality disorders where you essentially decide who you are based on the people around you and the world around you, and you have no real self-efficacy. And it's very interesting seeing this playing out on social media where it's like, pick a side, like which side are you on? If you're not 110% with us, then you're against us. And I'm like, ooh, that reminds me of certain diagnostic criteria of certain personality disorders where Mm. people are searching for the they're, they're, they don't have any trust in the world that the world's going to be stable or secure. So they're searching for evidence that you might be against me. And anything you say that could potentially even be the tiniest bit not in line with what I want you to feel or think is therefore against me. Because, of course, my identity relies on you. I need you to think and feel the right way so that I can think and feel the right way. And that's so dangerous. We're completely enmeshed. Neither of us have any sense of self separate from one another. And, of course, we're going to cancel each other because as soon as you say this tiniest thing, I'm then then digging and I'm feeling unsafe and I'm feeling insecure and anxious and I've got to find you out so that I can try and get my safety back. But, of course, it doesn't work. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I've always wondered what what it is because it. I mean, it can't just be that all these people have borderline personality disorder, but there are a lot of people who I've encountered over the years online, and and in real life a little bit too, but you know more so online, where yeah, if you if you don't go along with what they're asking of you, if you don't agree with them then they really feel really triggered by it and kind of fall to pieces. Like I've, I've had an experience like that, um, that actually maybe I'll talk about later on Patreon only not publicly, but um, essentially I, I disagreed. I disagreed with the premise premise and I wasn't willing to agree 
to what was being asked of me. You know, I was being asked to do something and I was like, no, I can't agree to that. That's not who I am. That's not how I do things. That's not, you know, my, my politics, my ethics. Those, I, that's not my view of things. This doesn't work for me. And it's, you know, it's irrational. It's not a cohesive um, concept or a way forward for me. Um, and the person that I was responding to and saying no to, you know, started crying. Um, mm. and got really upset and kind of turned me into the enemy and probably felt like I was attacking her somehow. And, and even though I really yeah. wasn't at all, I was just like, you know, no, like, I, yeah. don't, I don't agree with that. It's um, really, um, sorry, you finish. No, that's okay. Go ahead. I was done. It's really interesting because uh, in my experience with people with personality disorders, one of the things that stands out to me most is that they obsess about who are you friends with because who you're friends with to them is an extension of how they feel about the world. So if I'm friends with you, Megan, and you're friends with someone I don't disagree with, that's a personal affront to me. And that might not make any sense to you as a person who is mentally healthy. But to someone with a personality disorder, the fact that you're friends with someone that I don't like means that you're now personally bringing this kind of threat into my world. And I've experienced this where where people have sort of said to me things like, oh, you're talking to that person right like what does that mean you're Ugh, you're catching up with them what does that mean like, like it means nothing you don't have to be friends with them i am end of conversation forever <laughs> that's not how it works for them that's not how it works for them and so you see this with you know people trying to cancel me for example for being friends with you you're friends with megan murphy like, what does that mean? You're like, yeah, you should try it. She's really fun. <laughs> but it's so funny because, you know, my experience with people with personality disorders makes me straight away go, oh, right. so you can't live in a world where people are friends with people that you don't like. Your world must be completely walled off from anyone that you might potentially have even the slightest disagreement and they're and they're it's whittling down to the tiniest like the margins of negotiation right now are so small it's like if you don't have 110 percent alignment with all of my politics and all of your friends have to be people that have a hundred and ten percent alignment as well then you've got to go. To me, this is just bad boundaries. Like to me, this is like people who don't have healthy boundaries because people who have healthy boundaries would understand that their friend being friends with somebody they don't like doesn't have anything to do with them. And they would also understand that it would be inappropriate for you to ask your friend not to be friends with somebody else just Mm -hmm. because you didn't like them. Um, Right. But so many people today are are engaged in that all the fucking time. I mean, I talk about this all the time, but it's like 
you know, I have so many friends who've basically been bullied into not being friends with me because they're like, you know, we can't hang out with you if you're going to hang out with Megan because she's transphobic or whatever. And they're like, okay. So it's like bad boundaries all around. It's bad boundaries on, on those people's parts for trying to bully this person into not being friends with me. And then bad boundaries on the parts of my friend who is like, oh, okay, sure, fine. When in reality, like, wait, like if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, fuck up. I'm not going to be friends with you. Like, how dare you say that to me? Like, don't, Mm -hmm. don't ask me that. That's not fair. That's totally inappropriate. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be around people like that. But I'd also be like, well, no, like, I, you know, like, I've even I've had boyfriends who've not wanted me to hang out with certain people or didn't want me to be friends with so and so. And I'm like, no, like, you can't ask me to do that. That's like, I don't want to be in a codependent relationship with you. Like, I'm friends with them. That's separate. Like we have a relationship. We have a relationship. These things aren't connected. You know, like you don't get to, you don't get to impose that on me. Yeah. It's so hard because for people who uh, don't have an internal sense of self or internal locus of control, or for example, who have personality disorders, who you are friends with does dictate how I feel about myself. And that's like really hard to understand when you don't live in that world because it's like who you're friends with means nothing about me. Like we're separate people. We have our own lives. We have our own worlds. And it's okay. Like it's okay to have different ideas, different thoughts, different friends, and we can all still be who we are. We can all still be friends. But you have to understand These are people who have no sense of safety outside of managing who you're friends with, who your friends are friends with, who you interact with, how you think, like outside of controlling that Mm. because their identity is hinged upon how the world thinks and feels. So their immediate circle has to think and feel a certain way in order for their identity to be a certain thing because their identity doesn't exist without you setting the scene for it. And so it's like so hard to wrap your head around why are people like forcing people into these little narrow categories and these boxes? And I'm like, it makes actual perfect sense to me because this is the trap of the external locus of control. And it's, part of so many different mental health issues where we don't feel internally safe. We don't have a sense of security. We don't have a sense of certainty. So we have to try and replicate it in our external world. And, you know, some people will say like, you are the sum of the people, the five people you spend the most time with. And that's true. But for these people, you're the sum of the people you spend the most time with and also their friends. So you can't spend time with people who are friends with people you don't agree with because your sense of self is so predicated upon how other people think and feel. You don't have your own thoughts and feelings. You're essentially a sponge of the thoughts and feelings of your friends and your friends' friends. So, of course, you must control them. The only way to feel safe and to have some stability is to just constantly micromanage what everyone else thinks and feels. And, of course, your friends' friends are a huge threat. And you'll see this 
uh, with people with personality disorders or people who have these kind of traits who are like obsessed about your friend's friends. For example, you get like a boyfriend or girlfriend and they'll be like, oh, who's this new person? They start with a sense of skepticism. They have complete lack of trust in the world. So as soon as you introduce a new person into the circle, it's met with like some sort of pessimism or hostility. So you can see that playing out. And this is what's happening now with social media. It's like you're either in or you're out. And if you're not using the right terminology and you're not kind of like using the woke terms and you're not signaling that you're part of us, then you're one of them. Like we've got to kick you out. (laughs) Uh, Renee says borderline people triangulate and experience everything as betrayal. Um, I feel, I mean, I don't know that much about borderline, but I do know people who behave like that, who sort of like involve, you know, they're having a problem with you. So they involve somebody else and they turn it into a drama and, um, And yeah, feel kind of betrayed by disagreement, essentially, you know, like from within feminism, but I'm sure I've experienced this in other contexts too with friends. I'm trying to think of examples, but within politics, like within feminism, for example, it's like you not agreeing with somebody who has been your ally or something is treated as a betrayal. Um, And like, how could you do this to me? And actually on Instagram today, this, this woman who was arguing about this Karen article that I wrote. Um, and you know, I, I think I, the problem is that a whole bunch of people who were responding on feminist current on the Facebook page and on my Instagram is that a, they didn't, of course they didn't read the article that I wrote. They just read the headline and were like, ah, you're defending Karen's. Um, <laughs> and they didn't watch the video that I was talking about and they didn't do any research about this Carlos person. So they were like, this woman was a racist and racists deserve to be called out. Or, you know, like any woman who says the N word deserves to be called out. And I have to be like, that's not what happened. And this guy is a grifter and a phony. And if she did genuinely do something racist, then fine. But that's not what happened. He's just, this is a man harassing a woman and trying to profit off of that harassment. And you are just having a knee jerk reaction but, you know, essentially, so one person in the comments was, was you know, defending the, the Karen meme and, you know, like, you can't argue with it. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're a racist yourself, essentially. Um, and I responded and I was like, well, that's not what happened. Like, she didn't do anything racist. That's not the situation. And she was like, you know, like, I supported you in your fight against Twitter and I don't support you anymore. And I was just like... <laughs> okay, like, that's fine. Like, you know, no, nobody's obligated to support me. You're allowed to pull your support from me whenever you feel like it. But I find that a really odd reaction, really odd thing to say where it's like, I did support you. But now that I disagree with you on this one thing, I no longer support you as a person or I no longer support you in this other way. And I was like, fine, that's your prerogative. But are you holding people hostage with your support? Because that's actually really manipulative. And, And a lot of people have done that to me over the years where it's like, you know, like I supported you when you were under attack over this or like I sent you a donation way back when. And like, how dare you not agree with me on this thing? And how dare you take this position when I supported you? And I'm just like, oh my God, really? Like, I have to be able to think for myself. That's what my job is. But like, 
I don't, you know, like I'm not going to pull support from somebody specifically because I disagree with them about something. Maybe if I decide I don't like them or like I don't like what they're doing or whatever, then sure, I might be like, okay, I'm not super into this person anymore. But I wouldn't announce it. First of all, I wouldn't be like, you did this and now I'm not supporting you anymore and fuck you and you should feel bad and change your mind to agree with me. (laughs) Okay, so there's two things I want to point out. One is if you have this external locus of control whereby the world dictates how you feel, everything is a threat. The fact that you think differently is a threat The fact that you're asking people to think beyond the black and white of Karens are all fucking shit terrible people to actually it's more complicated, that's a threat. So you now are a threat just for raising the question that the Karen thing could be more complex than just all Karens are shitty white women that we should write off as racist and case closed. The way people with this kind of thinking make the world safe is to make it either black or white. As soon as you introduce something else, you've made the world unsafe for them because you've made it too complicated. So the only way for them to return to a feeling of safety is to now put you in the bad category. We can't have more than right or wrong. When you live in this constant sense of insecurity, there is only right or wrong. Anything outside of that is a threat. It's a threat to how you feel about yourself. It's a threat to your kind of stability. It's a threat to your identity. And a lot of these people will get um, kind of activated, like anxious or depressed, like these... uh, emotional dysregulation will start coming out for them. So the, the, the things that they typically feel when they're threatened will start happening. And of course, then you lash out even more because you're emotional. So you're kind of just responding with this like either fire or sadness or whatever it is because you're emotionally dysregulated and your way to get back into regulation is to split the world back up again. It's either right or it's wrong. And it feels so safe when you can, little kids do this. You're either good or you're bad. And as soon as you do something wrong, you're in the bad category and it makes the world easy for them. And then they can start to regulate their emotions again and feel a bit safer. Okay, I've put all the bad people in one corner and all the good people in another. And that person who was kind of on the fence, that made me feel even worse. I put them in the bad category. So now I'm safe safe again in the world and now I can start returning back to feeling a bit safer and my emotions will start to regulate themselves and so they're doing this thing of like forcing the world and social media is great and that's the problem social media um it 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 validates this way of living because we get more clicks when we play into the black and white thinking. (laughs) So the more you play up this split between the world being good and bad, the more clicks you get. Unfortunately, that only represents a very disordered way of looking at the world. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I mean, this is, 
this is the result of identity politics, which unfortunately feminists contributed to. I always get like, every time I talk about like, even so even on this Karen article that I, I wrote recently, I've suddenly gotten a bunch of like, I, MRA trolls, whatever you want to call them, showing up, obviously, somebody found it somewhere and it's like ha like women deserve this feminists deserve this this is what they've been doing to us all along and i'm kind of like (laughs) well it's not what i'm doing i mean i see what they mean because a lot of liberal feminists do engage in man-hating to be honest like it's like and i probably did when i was younger at first and i've sort of changed my my uh approach and i've changed my mind about things and i don't i'm not interested in just like making fun of men or making fun of white men or lumping people together. Um, it's too easy. And, and I don't think it's productive. And I think that all people deserve respect and dignity. Um, but so they're sort of applying this thing to me that they've seen other feminists doing. And I'm like, eh, you've got the wrong person. Like I'm not, I'm not one of these people who's going around like posting photos of man spreaders on the internet to, to shame <laughs> men or whatever, or like, making memes about like how white men are all terrible. Um, But like, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, it's feminists have done that too, by positioning certain groups as most oppressed and therefore permanently victims and incapable of behaving in toxic ways or incapable of bullying or incapable of being shitty And you can't hold those people accountable. So, I mean, feminists do this to each other. Like, you can't hold other women accountable in the feminist movement for shitty behavior often because there's excuses around, like, oh, they have trauma or it's internalized misogyny um, or, you know, it's, it's the patriarchy that turns women against each other. And that might be true in certain ways. I mean, women are pitted against each other. We're we're supposed to be each other's competition, not each other's allies. Um, but that's, I mean, we're, we're doing that to each other now. I mean, we're all going after other women instead of going after, like, the real enemies. Um, so that's not untrue. But, yeah, like, it's sort of, I don't want to, just because a person is part of a group that's maybe been historically oppressed or marginalized, it doesn't mean that they're always a victim in every circumstance. And it doesn't mean that they shouldn't ever be held accountable. And, you know, if we, we are going to say, you know, like women, I know women are equal to men. I know we're not saying that literally, but I think that these like MRA trolls do have a point, which is that I, I don't think it's fair to demand accountability from men and not accountability from women. And I don't think we should, treat women as permanent victims or as children who aren't in control of their behavior or emotions. I mean, that's really unhealthy. Like, I don't, I don't really, I don't want to be excused for every bad thing I do. Like if I'm in a relationship with somebody and I act like a horrible asshole to them, I don't think that they should be like, that's fine. All good, honey. Like no problem. You just like freaked out and called me a bunch of names. It's like, no, it's not okay. I deserve to be treated like respect. You can't behave like that. And I can't, I shouldn't be able to say like, I mean, I can explain myself and try to change. Like if I recognize where it's coming from and you're like, Oh, sorry. Like I have a history of trauma or abuse or that was triggering for me or whatever, but it's not, 
it's not cool that we we've decided that because you're part of an oppressed group of people, you're never accountable for anything you do and everything you do is excusable. Um, yeah. you know, and that's what's happening with race too. Now, of course it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, well, if you're a B I P O C then everything you do is fine. And if you call somebody out on something, then you have to be taken, that has to be taken at face value and accepted and not questioned at all. You can't say like, Oh, well, what really happened there? Because then you're, you're not, I don't know, you're contributing to racism or sexism or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. That I, um, I was going through some old emails from like years and years ago and I was just thinking, fuck, I was like so ignorant. Like back before I first moved overseas and I was like talking to a bunch of different organizations in the Philippines and in Vietnam and in Cambodia and honestly in my mind, like in my early 20s, it was all the same thing. It was oppressed people. Like that's literally the only way I could conceptualize of it because I hadn't experienced it. Like I had no fucking clue what any of this meant. And uh, that would make sense then. I would say they're POCs and they're oppressed and they're all Southeast Asian oppressed POCs. That's my conceptualization of the world. And it makes it really easy. Again, it makes it safe to go, they're the oppressed people and you're the rich white Westerner and therefore you're the oppressor. And it's a really easy narrative. And now 10 years later, I look back and I'm like, what a fucking moron like I've now lived there for a few years I have heaps of friends and family there I have you know so many people that are near and dear to me in different countries in Asia and I now recognize how different they are how they really have nothing to do with one another their histories are so disparate and there's no there is no oppressed POC Asian person, which is the the view I had back then. It was just this one monolithic, the oppressed Asian POC. Um, And after like actually living a bit, you realize how fucking stupid that idea was. But I do see a lot of people now first learning that I, I, I can understand, like, if you're from a fairly middle-class, well-to-do background, you literally have no experience with this issue called oppression. It's just this random abstract idea that you've been told you contribute to and all white people are at fault for and you must now atone for And so you don't know. You just grasp onto these random things like all of the oppressed POCs, we must listen to them all. And they're all, you know, like, why don't you care about them? If you're a Karen, you obviously don't fucking care. And you're the problem. You're the oppressor. So we split the world back up into the two groups again. And it's like, oh, you're so fucking stupid. But I get why you think that. But it's really dumb it's so dumb it's such a basic view of the world well yeah and i mean part of the problem this is is not applicable to you in the same way but the part of the problem with these politics around race is that um american race politics are being applied to 
everywhere else. Um, And the history of, we've talked about this before, of course, but like the history of racism in the U.S. is different than the history of racism and the current situation of racism in other countries. And, Mm -hmm. you know, this is why I've sort of been like rolling my eyes a little bit at the people who have been doing like Black Lives Matter stuff here in Vancouver because I'm just like, that's not what's happening here. Like you should have, I mean, the racism that's happening in Vancouver is particularly targeted against indigenous people and South Mm. Asian people, which is Mm. not to say that there's never been racism against black people in Vancouver. It's to say that the demographics are quite different than they are in the States and our histories are quite different. And the history of, you know, abuse, uh, and and racism against indigenous people in Canada in general, but you know also you know particularly within BC, um, is 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 it continues to be a really big problem and it continues to have a really big impact on indigenous people here, and our demographics are that there's more indigenous people and South Asian people in Vancouver than Black people. There's a very small small. Uh, percentage of black people who live um, in BC Mm. but you know like I'm like you guys are glomming onto American politics in a way that I think is really weird Um, uh, John Kay talked about this in in our interview but you know the situation with police brutality in Canada is not the same as the situation of police brutality in the US partly because of gun culture because in the US a lot of people just carry guns on them. So, you know, part of the problem is that the cops will pull the trigger because they think somebody has a gun and often they do, which is not, I'm not defending the cops for doing that. I'm just saying that, you know, a lot of people in the U.S. have guns on them and therefore could just kill you in a split second. And that's not at all the case in Canada. Um, Yeah. Isn't it wild that we're all being asked to have an opinion on this thing, which we know fucking nothing about? Like, I don't know anything about policing in the United States. I barely (laughs) know anything about policing in Australia. The only thing I know about policing in the United States is, like, watching The Wire. Like, that's as much as I know. And people are like, well, you've got to have an opinion about this because if you don't have the right opinion, you're the oppressor. Like... Maybe I just don't have an opinion because I don't fucking know. I don't live there. I've never lived there. I probably never will live there. Why are you asking me to have an opinion about American politics? Like, you're not asking me to have an opinion about fucking Saudi Arabian politics. It's like you must have an opinion about American politics. Why? I mean, I I find it amusing because a lot of people assume that I'm American and I'm like, that's because you're American and Americans assume that the entire world is American. So actually, fuck you. Like, I'm Canadian. Other countries exist. Um, And we aren't all obsessed with who we're going to vote for, whether it's like Trump or someone else. Because we aren't voting for Trump because we live in an entirely different country. Can you imagine? I was so annoyed at the beginning of the Trump versus Clinton debate. It was like, pick a side. Like, who are you standing for? And I was like, nobody. I live in Canada. Fuck off. I don't have to have this debate with you. 
Yes. Do you know how much I love, like, I grew up in Australia, but I have Polish citizenship still from my grandparents. And I'm like, anytime there's an Australian political debate, I'm like, fuck it. I don't care. Do you know what? I'm not even part of your country anyway. (laughs) Like, I don't. I'm tired of being, and we talked about this, the enmeshment thing of like, my problems are your problems. You must care about my problems. Like, but nobody else does no. that except Americans. Ameri- does any other country do that except for America? Like, expect everyone to know yeah. everything about their politics and what's going on there, and mm-hmm. to be obsessed with it and be focused on it above all else. Like, no I other think, country does oh, that. I- I think a lot of big countries do this. Brazil does it, in my experience. Argentinians, oh, my God. Um, Indians, Chinese people, they live in because their country is so fucking geographically big and there's so much population. Like, they live in their, really, they do live in their own world that kind of that's the only world that exists. I think that happens with a lot of big countries. Russia's another one. People talk about the brick brick countries, like the big emerging economies. I think a lot of those countries do develop ethnocentrism and some develop ethnocentrism around their cultural legacy, like French people or Italian people. <laughs> I mean, I think it's natural to be self-absorbed. Like, yeah. I mean, it's natural to know more about and be more interested in your situation than other people's situation. And I think that's fine. It's just that I don't ever assume that anybody knows what's going on in Canada. Like, why would they? And and I think it's important to, you know, educate ourselves about what's going what's going on in different places in the world, including the U.S., because the U.S. has such a massive impact on the rest of the world. So I think I I am trying to understand how policing works in the U.S. and what the problems are there, because I want to be able to, you know, advocate for effective solutions. And so I am doing that. But in the process of doing that, I'm finding that I'm. I'm understanding the situation in a way that a lot of these activists are not who are just saying, you know, black lives matters and racism is bad. And like, like, okay, but what does this have to do with the specific situation of police brutality and police accountability in the U S and how are you going to, how are you proposing to resolve that? Oh, you're going to go to a March in Vancouver in Canada and take a picture of yourself and put it on the internet so okay. you're following Hi, the mandate that, like, acknowledge that you're doing that to make yourself feel better and for no other reason because i don't think that's effective i don't think that does anything at all and like i don't know if that's going to piss everybody off but i fail to see what it accomplishes to go to a black lives matter protest in vancouver unless you're you're either i guess advocating for specific solutions in america so you're trying to educate people here about what they might I don't know how people here would have an impact on what's going on in America really to be honest but or if there's a situation in Canada that you're trying to affect change around but in that case I don't feel that the Black Lives Matter politics is the right fit for Vancouver. I I I kind of get that there's some complexity here because I can appreciate that other countries like New Zealand's had its own like Black Lives Matter movement, 
I understand that what they're trying to do is ride the coattails of BLM in the United States, which is incredibly powerful because it's from the United States. That's a problem in and of itself that has something to do with race. Why is Black Lives Matter in the United States such a big conversation compared to race in every other country? So they're riding the coattails of the BLM in the United States to raise local issues around race, ethnicity, and culture. That's a problem in and of itself. Why are we only having those conversations when the United States sparked it? Why are we not having those conversations just as a standalone subject? And then the other thing, like you say, is layering the United States political view onto your local politics, which is totally trendy. Yeah. Because it's trendy. Like, why? Yeah. Like, why are you? I mean, if there are so many problems in Canada, which all these people are insisting on, they're saying, oh, America, you think America is bad. Look at Canada. All these horrible things are going on here, too. And it's like, okay, well, then, you know, why are you doing American activism? Mm -hmm. And it's just because this is what the what the viral trend is. This is what they're seeing on social media and this is what's getting likes and this is this is yeah the the trendy politics of the day and it's not you know i support these protests i you know support activism that works to affect change in terms of again police brutality and police accountability but i just i really feel that this is so much more about people how they feel about themselves and how they can kind of show off to their friends who agree with them. You know, I think I've said this before and last week or something like that, you know, these people who are posting incessantly about racism and black lives matter on their Instagram feeds. And I'm like, you know, I don't know who you think you're arguing with. I don't know who you're getting angry at. I don't know who you think you're educating because everybody on your feed agrees with you and there's nobody on any of my social media feeds. There's nobody on any, there's nobody that I'm seeing on my Facebook um, or on my Instagram who is saying racist things. I've never seen anybody say anything racist on my Instagram feed or on my Facebook feed. And you have like 200 people on your feed. So you have significantly less people than I do. So is there, is there somebody in your feed who's posting a bunch of racist shit mm-hmm. and saying black lives don't matter? Or are you just doing that because you want to get wrapped up in something and feel like you're doing something productive when you're actually doing nothing at all? There's been so many things going around about like white people need to talk to their white friends about race and like come to this training program so we can teach you how to call out racism. And I'm like... I don't have any fucking racist friends. Most of my friends are immigrants <laughs> oh or they're God. brown. Everybody that I know has been voting. Like, I don't think I even know people who vote liberal. I'm like, who am I supposed to be talking to about this? Like, I, all of my friends are probably like more left at this point than I am. Like I've left like the radical left and I've moved more towards the center. Right. Like, and don't interpret that as interpret that as moving right, all you fucking manipulative <laughs> assholes. I still am voting left. I still am a socialist. I still support universal health care. Um, but uh, you know, like 
fuck are you hanging out with? Who am I calling out? Like, if I started lecturing, they'd be like, okay, thanks, Megan. (laughs) It's embarrassing if you're actually friends with black people, brown people, whatever. It's actually embarrassing to say this shit. That's why I say it's so clear that these people are fucking clueless. They're me at 20 being like, all of Asia is oppressed brown people and we must all go and do work over in Asia like you you sound so fucking stupid but of course you don't realize how stupid you sound because you live in this fucking bubble and you think you're doing something by yelling at the people in your bubble like okay I'm glad you feel better about yourself back Um. to the real world (laughs) I just want to clarify because Scott in the comments said, you disappoint me for voting for those NDP fools. And I just want to clarify that I voted for the NDP in every single provincial and federal election since I was 18 years old, except for the last election where I didn't vote at all because I could not bring myself to vote NDP because they fucked us so badly on the prostitution issue and the gender identity issue. And I was tired of feeling like I was voting for Mm -hmm. a party that had zero respect for me at all. And I've tried to set up meetings with MPs and contact MPs to have conversations and I've been fully ignored. I've been fully like absolutely disrespected and ignored by these people and their politics are so anti-woman and phony. And so I just couldn't bring myself to vote for them, but I also couldn't like, I'm not, I'm can't, I'm not going to vote conservative um, because yeah. I care about things like social housing and I care a lot about universal health care and I care about raising the minimum wage and I care mm-hmm. about social safety nets in general. Um, and, you know, yeah, like creating social housing and the conservative party is going to do that. And the liberal party also supports gender identity ideology and the decriminalization of prostitution and are totally useless. So I was like, I guess for the first time ever, I'm just not going to vote. Like, yeah. thanks, everybody. For fucking it up. Can I just say uh, why I think this is important? Because um, a lot of people will say, like, well, that's like Canadian politics. Like, who gives a fuck what weirdos in Canada, in Canada are doing? Their politics are all fucking stupid anyway. The thing that I think is really fundamental here is the fact that Wealthy people in the Western world, like in Vancouver, are in effect leading the global dialogue on what is important in the political movement right now. What's important for working class marginalized people is being led by like very educated, very middle class or upper class white hipsters living in Vancouver who are completely uneducated about all these issues only talk to one another so don't actually have any idea what's going on in the real world and are you know beyond all that incredibly stupid and boring like yes oh cool you worked in a bar your whole life not that there's anything wrong with that like I think that working in a bar is great but it's like you've just spent your whole life hanging out with the exact same group of people you come from privilege sorry to play the privilege game because i know i just like dissed that game but and but it's because they're so righteous they're they're so self-righteous like it's like they they have the nerve to 
impose their politics on everyone else and to behave as though everyone who doesn't agree with their politics, which I think are very uneducated politics. I really don't think they understand the issues at all. I saw somebody posting on Instagram the other day, um, you know, like, black trans women are dying every day and there's like a radical turf there's radical like transphobic turfs in Vancouver and these people need to be punished and JK Rowling is a monster a monster a mm-hmm. monster JK Rowling is a monster and black trans women are being killed every day are you insane because of JK Rowling are you insane there's something like three women who die every day in the US because of domestic abuse alone, there have been no black trans women who've been murdered in Canada at all this year and possibly any year. And in the US, there's something like, I think, God, I can't remember, maybe oh, fuck, 13 or something like that, uh, trans women um, who've, been, who've been killed this year, uh, most of them in Puerto Rico. Uh, most of them, mm. I think it, it's crime related and, mm. and, you know, so probably poverty related, like drug stuff, like you're in a bad scene around dangerous people, probably prostitution related. Not that it makes it okay, but every, are you, you have no idea what you're talking about yeah. and you dare to lecture and then say horrible things about women like JK Rowling or women like me who are trying to protect women who actually are being killed every mm-hmm. day at the hands of men still. Mm-hmm. And you have nothing to say about that ever. Of course, none of these people have anything to fucking say about domestic abuse. But this is why identity politics reigns in these circles, because these are people who've never suffered anything. They have no fucking clue what you're talking about when you're saying like women who experience domestic violence, women who are prostituted, women who are living in poverty. It's so abstract to them. Okay, sorry, Anne so says much- there are 18. Sorry, I just wanted to correct the number. She says there is 18. I think I, I should know because I wrote about this. Sorry, black, uh, uh, trans women who were murdered in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, continue. Um, I just didn't want to leave, like, the wrong number floating around. Don't do that. You'll get like... fucking cancelled again. Yeah. Um, but it's so interesting that identity politics has taken over, and it makes sense to me because it's like – the politics of gentrification. These are people that have a lot of money who've never experienced any of the suffering that's associated with poverty, like with being actually oppressed, with any of these things. They're all just objects to them. They're all just abstract concepts. So glomming on to progressive politics is just another way of demonstrating the fact that they're middle to upper class and they think the right way and they live the right way and they buy ethical foods and it's like uh it's cruelty free and it's like have all these ticks of approval and they're progressive and their politics are perfect and they're part of the in-group and of course they're like leading the global dialogue right now on what is fundamental to our political movement and their ideas are so fucking out of whack with the real world of course because they're so out of whack with the real world because they've never lived any of these things that they're talking about and that's part of the reason why they have so much time and money to talk about it and that's why i posted about 
privilege the other day, not that I'm actually interested in accusing people of privilege, but because when you're born into a world where you have a stable family, you have a stable income, you don't have to deal with, you know, abuse, trauma, poverty, neglect, you do have so much fucking time and money on your hands that of course you start investing in these political dialogues that are outside of your purview. Of course you want to do the right thing. You want to be ethical with all this money and time that you have. So you pick up the right thing. And the right thing right now is to play on the identity politics. (laughs) So they're not fucking helping anyone, but they have a lot of time and energy and they're putting all of it into identity politics and it's really frustrating particularly when you know like I know lots of people who are running charities in Asia or Central America they don't have the slightest fucking interest in identity politics they're just trying to help people live with poverty they're just trying to help people overcome human trafficking like they're not playing this fucking stupid game that we're all We've all been dragged into this game that, like, we don't care about this game. We actually genuinely care about helping people. But somehow it's turned into this thing of, like, we're all putting on a performance right now of our identity. Well, yeah, and people just read things on the Internet and repeat it. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was in 2019 there was 18 trans women who were killed in the U.S., and this year in 2020, there have been 16 so far. Again, most mm-hmm. of which are in Puerto Rico. Um, but in any case, I mean, yeah, I just I wanted to correct that or whatever. But I mean, it's just about like people read memes and then repeat the memes, and then this just becomes fact, and nobody does their own research, and it makes people care about things that are really like a distraction in many ways. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of serious problems in the world, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't really pay attention to those problems or really understand those problems, and certainly they don't know what to do to resolve those problems, which is fine. I mean, I, we can't all have solutions to everything. Like, I don't understand all problems in the world, and I don't have solutions to offer um, to all problems of the world, but I also don't go around spouting off and lecturing people and berating people on the internet about things that I'm not educated on and that I don't understand and that I can't offer practical solutions that might actually help. Um, Mm. We're talking about, you know, what are really fake problems. Um, (laughs) I'm not, it's a, it's a problem if anybody's getting killed. It is, but there's not the, the rash of people who are being murdered are not, it's not trans identified people are not the most vulnerable people in the world. And they're not the people who are being subjected to the most violence in the world. That would be Mm. women and men. Actually men are subjected to a lot of violence. (laughs) Like Mm. it's, you know, at the hands of other men. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, I, we have to go to Patreon only. Is there anything that we need to say before we move? I, I, uh, did I cut you off from saying anything that you wanted to? Okay. So, thank you for tuning into the same drugs. I'm Megan Murphy. <laughs> On that positive note, let's uh, go do some shots. <laughs> I uh, we started a Reddit 
Mm. Um, a subreddit for the same drugs. So people can continue to have conversations there that they want to continue to have here, but that me and Laura derailed. So tell people <laughs> what the conversation is for this Patreon, because it's really funny and I want to talk about it. I'm actually excited about this. Yeah. So, well, there's a, a few things, but we wanted to debate. There was a tweet that... Um, was asking, hold on, let me find them in here. Sorry, guys. It's on our Reddit. Um, and yeah, so that would be our slash the same drugs. Um, there's a second civil war. You identify as libertarian, independent, anarchist, or politically homeless, but you have to choose a side. Who do you choose? And I thought that this would actually be a really simple answer at first when I sent it to Laura. I was like, obviously, I have to choose blue because of the abortion issue. Like, women can't lose abortion. I have no choice. No matter how much I hate the Democrats and think that they're morons. Like, um, But I I guess it's actually more... And and it sort of started to become more complicated the more that we thought about it and talked about it. Um, So I posted that question on our reddit if you want to participate there but also we're going to go to patreon and we're going to talk about a bunch of things what else are we going to talk about there we're going to follow up on the codependency topic right i'm still reading about codependency so happy to keep talking about that yeah and we're gonna yeah so we're gonna vote on whether we're gonna be blue or red whether you would rather date a guy that's conservative or progressive right Uh, (laughs) i mean this is like this is an easy answer for me like i see people often asking like do you have does a man have to be progressive for you to date him and i'm like oh god no (laughs) like kill me right but you know i think we're also going to talk about like how much how much misogyny, we'll talk about what that means, one can tolerate within a relationship. Yeah. Um, what concessions do you have to make? What as concessions a woman? do you make in a relationship when you have to date a man? <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? Okay, so All right. Patreon, the link there. is down below. Come join us. Um, oh, Next week, you guys, I think I'm on the island visiting my parents, and I think they uh, don't have good enough Wi-Fi for us to live stream, so we may have to skip next week. I'm really sorry. We'll try to avoid skipping it, because I feel sad about the idea of skipping it, but I'm not sure if I can make it happen. It's a little island up in the middle of the forest, and it's just, it would, it might just be more annoying than anything else, and everything's closed there. There's nothing that stays open late there it's yeah there's not uh, there's no offices Um, i have so many people reaching out to me right now that have been canceled at like progressive people being like oh my god i think i'm being canceled like there's so many people that want to talk to me about being canceled yeah oh (laughs) man i get yeah i get those emails constantly and it's like i can't keep up and i feel bad because they want to get their story out there and i'm like i can't I'm not capable there's of covering so this all because there's so many of them. The amount of people are getting fired and they're so upset about it. And of course I feel really badly. Like it's horrible. And I wish there was something that we could do. And I never, I don't, there's some, some of those stories I can cover, but God, not all of them. 
And they're um, genuinely like good progressive people. They really are. I will talk to a few of those people next week. I don't know. Um, maybe I'll talk about it on Instagram. I think they have their own YouTube, so I might be on a few of those next week. But And also you're going to share some uh, interviews next week instead of one of these. Yeah, I have, right? a couple, I have a couple interviews for next week. Also, I just want to say, Laura, that your eyeliner looks really nice. Mm. Thank you. I did it twice. <laughs> it paid off. <laughs> that second round was yeah. worth it. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, we'll see you on Patreon. Actually, um, I'll I'll stick the link in um, the 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 uh, 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 the um, live chat. Also, I think that it's cool. down below, but I screwed up so much that um, I should probably do that too. All right, and... so I'll see you on Patreon in five minutes. Okay. Bye. Drink break. Bye. Thanks, everybody. I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and are enjoying the other interviews and the content we're producing, please do consider becoming a patron. Just head over to patreon.com slash Megan Murphy and sign up. Five, ten, twenty-five bucks a month. It all helps. We rely entirely on supporters and donors like you to keep doing this work. Thank you so much. We'll catch you next time on The Same Drugs with Megan Murphy.